If you have your Bibles, would you turn to 2 Kings chapter 5? It will be page 332 in the Pew Bible. 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm going to start with verse 1. I think I got the right page this time. (laughs) Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, a leper. But the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Egypt, Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so Naaman departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive, that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. And so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Amen went with his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the rivers of Israel, waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so Naaman turned and went away in rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not, not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, Wash and be clean. And so Naaman went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Traditionally, this is a story of, of healing. 
But other than Naaman, there are six people in this narrative. And each one of them is facing a situation in life, probably similar to a situation maybe that you have faced or maybe facing now, or maybe that you're going to face in the future. And while we can't control every situation that comes our way and what happens to us, how we respond in each situation determines what we have in life. And you've heard a million cliches, I'm sure, that give you lemon, you know, make lemonade or whatever. But I've learned in 47 years that there's two ways to respond in each situation. There's the natural way the way the natural man would respond. The problem with that is, is you better be very, very good at the way you respond because how you come out of that situation is determined on your response and your abilities to cope with it. And then there's God's way. There's the Bible way. In man's way, you have no guarantee of success. But when you do it the Bible way, when you do it God's way, not only are you guaranteed of success, but God involves his life, Himself in your situation. And we get to use His abilities. And those are a whole lot better than man's. And I started a series last week on the life of one of the six people and their response to the situation that they were involved in. And it was the first person in this narrative in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. This little servant girl. Now, for this young servant girl, most people would not have blamed her if she would have kept her mouth shut about Naaman's healing and Elisha's prophetic gift of healing. I mean, to human nature, it would have been very easy for this young servant girl to have thought evil about Naaman. I mean, after all he's done to me, and she may have, for all we know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but if her, if her dad tried to defend and fight, he might have been killed. If she had brothers, they might have been killed or taken off into captivity. And so she, it would have been very easy uh, for her to think, well, he's getting what he deserves. I mean, after all, Naaman had taken her from her home and separated her from her family and for all intents and purposes destroyed any dreams that she may have had for the future. And yet the Bible tells us in verse 3, and yet she said to Naaman's wife, if only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And I asked the question last week, so how do you respond to someone who has injured you or to a loved one, to someone that you love? Especially when they come to you with a need. How do you respond to that? You know, as Christians, one of the main traits we are supposed to show in life is forgiveness. And the Bible says that that we're to forgive like God has forgiven us. I think it's rather interesting that whenever I've learned that whenever 
I teach on something, even though I've had to deal with it in the past, it just seems that following that teaching, I always have the opportunity to put into practice what I preach from the pulpit. And this week was no exception. How do we deal with people like that? Do we forgive? Do we help them without complaining? You know, we say in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And now I want to talk to you today about Naaman's wife. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us much about her. Doesn't even give her name. But I think Naaman's wife was probably a woman of prominence and probably very high profile. She was probably, I believe she was a woman that was sought after by many people, currying her favor and and maybe uh, currying her attention and seeking favors of her. And the reason I say that is because in verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 5, it tells us that Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. And by the way, his name was Ben-Hadad. That was his name, that king. And the Bible goes on to tell us that Naaman was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Which tells me that the king probably knew Naaman very well. And so I believe that Naaman's wife probably had to go to a lot of social events that were given by the king and his court. She would have probably have to have known how to conduct herself uh, in these settings as the wife of the commander of the army of Syria. It was a very large army, one of the most powerful at that time. She would have entertained a lot, and she would have had to know all the social graces of entertaining. In other words, where the king and the members of his court would have sat, and other high officials who maybe attended her her banquets or her parties. Naaman was probably a pretty wealthy man. I mean, given his position in life and probably what he, the, the uh, spoils that he had attained through his many victories. And so his wife probably had to be quite a businesswoman to be able to run a home like that with all those servants. I believe she was probably quite a woman. Like I think I've seen a lot of women up here in Opheim. And then one day this servant girl comes to her and says, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. I want to ask you another question, rhetorical. How do you respond to that statement? Depending, how, how do you? I mean, depending on your financial and educational and social status and position in your life, your answers would probably vary quite differently. For Naaman's wife, there might have been a lot of questions. This servant girl could be trying to set a trap for him, get him to go back to Israel so that they could kill him. I mean, after all, he was the commander of the army, cut off the head, the snake dies. She was a young girl, the Bible tells us, in her teens. Maybe this story of this man who could, who 
could heal leprosy might be a figment of her imagination or a rumor that she had just heard. Maybe it wasn't real at all. Or her approach could have been, well, who does this girl think she is? I mean, she's just a little slave girl that we took on a raid from, of all places, Israel. And the Syrians, Armenians, had no, had no like at all for the Israelites. She might have thought, who does she think she is anyway? Doesn't she realize who I am? Doesn't she realize we've sent him to the best doctors we have? How do you deal with that when someone who seemingly does not have the education you have or the experiences or the knowledge that you have in an area? Maybe they haven't quite attained the financial success you have or they haven't made it yet in business or in a certain profession. And they approach you with a solution to a problem that you're maybe going through or that you have do you mentally just turn them off while they're talking to you do you are you forming your own rebuttal and not really listening I saw an interesting stat the other day did you know that 80 some percent of the people when they're being talked to, 80-some percent are not listening. Instead, they're forming their own answer. When they come to you, do you politely thank them and then go your way without giving any thought to what they had said anyway? You know, the Bible has a lot to say about how we view ourselves. And isn't how we view ourselves isn't that what determines really how often or how we respond to others? You know, there are going to be some days things don't bother me a bit and other days when they, they really do. I want to share with you just a couple this morning. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. It will be page 1047. First Corinthians 13, known as the love chapter. First Corinthians 13, verse 4. I'm not going to read all of them, I just want this one. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love is not boastful. One translation says, does not parade itself. And love is not arrogant. Now in the Greek, the word boastful means a braggart. Love isn't a braggart. Look who I am. Look what I've got. Who do you think you are? And in the Greek, the word airy, arrogant comes from the root word to blow up. Not blow up, boom, but just like it's the indication of blowing up a balloon, inflating a balloon, and it means to inflate. I like what the English Heritage Bible says about arrogance. Giving oneself an undegree of importance. 
The Passion Translation says it this way. It says, Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. How do we deal with it when people come to us and we're going through a problem? Go with me to Romans chapter 12. Page 1033. Romans chapter 12. Verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. It's interesting that word in the Greek means to esteem oneself over much. It's the way the Greek says it, to esteem self one over much. I don't know about you, but there was a time in my life when I thought I knew how to live my life without God's help. I wasn't doing bad, I wasn't poor. I mean, I had what I wanted. And Jesus, you know, He would continually continually exhort the people and, 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 and his disciples and he'd say he who has ears to hear let him hear when we close our ears to what the Lord is trying to tell us loved ones there can be disastrous consequences there really can turn with me to Proverbs chapter 16 would you? Page 587. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In the Hebrew, that word destruction comes from the root word to burst, to break down, and it means to form a breach into, or it means the breaking apart of, means affliction. And the word fall comes from the base Hebrew word meaning to totter or to waver and it means ruin one translation says it this way when you boast your boast becomes a prophecy of a future failure and the higher we regard ourselves and lift ourselves up in pride the harder we fall in disgrace you know when I read that and I think of this young servant girl going to Naaman's wife. I, my mind, as I read this, Proverbs 16, 18, went right back to Peter. 
And here Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, Peter, look, listen, they're going to try and make you stumble and fall. And Peter, oh no, 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 not me. I'll go to the death with you. And the Lord says, Peter, before you're done denying me three times, that rooster's going to crow. Oh no, I'll I'll go to the grave with you, Lord. And as he sat around that fireplace, And that came out of him the third time before he even finished. The Bible says immediately that rooster crowed. I don't know about you, but you know what? There's been some times in my life when I've thought pretty highly of myself. And I've had to walk away crying. I shared with the Sunday school class this morning. Many, many years ago, I hadn't known the Lord, come to the Lord very long, and I was hanging drywall for a living, and there was a a man who was a few years older than me who would do the taping and the floating. And he was also a musician, so we got together and we would visit and talk, and he was not a Christian, and, and... He used to say, you know, Owen, you're probably one of the sharpest men I know, but how can you be so stupid as to believe that stuff in the Bible? And I was hoping maybe I could win him to the Lord. One day, I saw him and he was just furious. He was angry. Jim had a temper. And he looked at me and he got up in my face and he said, you're a liar and a hypocrite. And he said... I wouldn't be a Christian for anything in the world. When I finally got out of him what it was, I'd tell him, yeah, Jim, sure, we'll, we'll come on over tonight. And something would come up and we wouldn't able to get over there. And I'd say, but Jim, things come up. And he'd say, then why don't you tell me you'll try and come over, but you lie to me when you say you'll come over and you don't. He said, why don't you tell me you'll try? He left. I don't mind telling you I broke down and I cried. You know why? Because he was right and I was wrong. Paul said we're living letters. And our Heavenly Father is very desirous to be a part of our life. And just as any good parent would do, he's interested in helping you through the hurdles that life throws at you. And because of His great love for you, God will use any method He can to get you the answers to what you're going through at any given time. He'll use anything. I see in the Bible where He used a donkey and He used a leper. And in one place He used a burning bush and in another place He used a big fish. In some places he used dreams. And there was one time where in this great big banquet, he had this finger appear right upon the wall. I've seen where he's used angels. And even a young servant girl. And regrettably, many a person has gone through an unnecessary and unpleasant and destructive situation 
simply because they, they wouldn't listen when the Lord tried to talk with them or they didn't recognize it was the Lord speaking to them. You realize Naaman might not have never been healed if his wife wouldn't have listened to that servant girl. God loves you. Is there maybe something God's trying to share with you today about that situation that you're involved in? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you love us very much. And I thank you that in your love for us, you will do all that you can to give us the answers to the situations in life that we face. Let's be truthful. They can be pretty devastating. They can be overwhelming. Sometimes it seems that they just drag on and drag on. And, but you haven't forgotten us. And Lord, you'd like to communicate with us and help us out. There may be some here today that are going through situations in their life and nobody else knows about it. It might be in a relationship. It might be something financial. It might be emotional. It might be a physical. And they might be scared stiff and, they're, and they're, they don't know what to do. And it seems like they're overwhelmed. But just as you had a servant girl for Naaman and you had that donkey for Balaam, just as you had the star for the wise men and the angels for the shepherd. You've got an answer. Help us, Lord, to first of all be open to you helping us. And then, Lord, would you help us to recognize when you're speaking to us? It doesn't matter whether it's through the beggar on the street, the young child, the young son or daughter, granddaughter. It doesn't matter. Help us to recognize your voice. And we thank you and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.